0: Good morning, noon, and night, everyone, wherever and whenever you're listening to this podcast. This is The Shift. I am your host, Doug McKenty. This is recorded on July 5th, 2017. If you like what you're hearing on The Shift, please check out our Patreon account. That's uh, patreon.com/theshift. If you want to find out more, you can find out more on Facebook at The Shift with Doug McKenty, on Twitter at D McKenty, or online at theshiftnow.com. Today's guest on the shift is James Corbett, host of The Corbett Report. He started The Corbett Report websites in 2007, utilizing open source intelligence to produce podcasts, interviews, articles, and videos about breaking news and important issues ranging from 9-11 truth and false flag events to the rising police state, eugenics, geopolitics, the central banking fraud, and more. The Corbett Report provides an outlet for independent critical analysis of politics, society, history, and economics. Not only does James produce a podcast and several regular online video series, but he also produces video reports for GRTV and is the lead editorial writer for the International Forecaster. Check out the Corbett Report at CorbettReport.com. How's it going, James? Thanks for joining me on The Shift. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Uh, This is only the third episode that I've done in this recent incarnation, so I'm just getting started and... uh, Your support here is going to be really helpful. I know you've been at this for a long time. Um, You know what? I really wanted to talk to you. We only got about a half an hour today, so why don't we just get right into it? I wonder what you think about the term conspiracy theory, because I know that what you produce may be called this. Do you find it a a derogatory term? Do you accept it? Um, What are your thoughts about it? Maybe talk about a little bit about the history of it, uh, et cetera, et cetera. It's uh,
1: one of those terms that is in the eyes of the beholder. Because there are two senses for everything that we say, but certainly with this term, there is the uh, denotative sense and the connotative sense. So a word like conspiracy or a term like conspiracy theory has the denotation, someone who theorizes about conspiracies. Okay, fair enough. I don't necessarily object to that. I think that is quite explicitly what I'm doing a lot of the time. But of course, it isn't just the denotative dictionary meaning of those words. It's the connotative sense. And as we know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, ooh, you're one of those crazy nut jo- jobs wearing tinfoil hats and <laughs> you know talking about this, that, and the other. Um, So it has been effectively co-opted and used as a term of derision for the past half century. And we can actually go back and identify where this term really entered the lexicon in a significant way. It was the late 1960s, and we have a CIA document that I am not going to be able to number off the top of my head. I believe it's something like... 1095-330, but please look it up. Don't take my word for it. Um, There is a CIA document that has long since come out about how the CIA was sending uh, a message to its operatives in the Mockingbird media. If people don't know about Operation Mockingbird, please look into it. You can start with a very Very thorough, very interesting and very mainstream article on uh, the CIA and the media called the CIA and the media It was by Carl Bernstein and was published in Rolling Stone in the late 1970s. And at that time, Mm. they were talking about the revelations that came out through the um, the Church Commission hearings that took place in the mid 70s in the wake of Watergate. And it came out. Yes, the CIA did have assets in all of the major news media at that time, Um, editors and other friendly People who were friendly to the agency, not necessarily on the payroll, but were willing to publish stories or scuttle stories or do things uh, that were friendly to the agency. And so we know in the 1960s, as a result of this leaked document, which, again, you can see online, uh, that the CIA at that time was trying to combat these crazy conspiracy theories about the Warren Commission and the official story of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald as the lone nut assassin of JFK. And so they said, you should you guys should work this phrase. You should talk about conspiracy theories, crazy conspiracy theories. They didn't use the exact term crazy, but at any rate, that was the uh, the gist of what they were telling their media cohorts. Use this term, talk about the conspiracy theorists who theorize about these events, and then contrast that with the. You know, the hard work of these dedicated commissioners on the Warren Commission who did the, you know, that the, the, produced this incredible voluminous report that, of course, no one reads because it's 24 volumes or whatever it is. And uh, this is the definitive final word on JFK and blah, blah, blah. And you can actually trace it with uh, LexisNexis Nexus and other searches where you can see that the use, the employment of that phrase, conspiracy theory, conspiracy, conspiracy theorist being employed by the mainstream media from that point on in the late 1960s. And that's where it really entered the popular discourse, specifically as a slur against people who didn't take for gospel truth things like the conclusions of the Warren Commission. So that's where it comes from. That's why it is used today in the way that it is used by virtually everyone. Everyone knows that if you hear the term conspiracy theorist, It's a thought stopper. You stop thinking about whatever is being discussed and you start deriding whoever is discussing it without looking at facts, without weighing evidence. So I have for a long time played with and against that idea of conspiracy theorist i i made uh, episode 50 of my podcast was on the other c word talking about conspiracy <laughs> you know and how that can be so derogatory and all of this and i've talked uh, I, I did a humorous video a few years ago called shut up conspiracy theorist where i talked about some of the very openly admitted and acknowledged conspiracy theorizing that goes on there's officially approved conspiracy theorizing and then there's the the kind oh we can't we can't can't take that. Huh? So uh, I've ta- I've played with this quite a bit. I'm almost coming back around on the term. I'm almost willing to embrace it because it is denotatively descriptive. It is what this is largely about. It is theorizing right. and trying to construct uh, workable hypotheses about conspiracies. And if we can get it back down to that actual reality and can prove that, for example, the official 9-11 story is a conspiracy theory. It's a theory about how these 19 men with box cutters conspired with Osama bin Laden in a cave in Afghanistan on dialysis to commit this major terror attack. That's a conspiracy theory. If we can point that out and sh- and bring the term back down to what it actually means, I think we can actually re-enter it into the discourse in a meaningful way
0: it's it is amazing i mean for me uh, just personally it's it's been phenomenally effective i mean even in my community here in northern california i start to bring up some of these topics and at least a certain percentage of the population if if not still i think it's probably about half and half in my community as far as i can tell but the half that are still and i will go ahead and call it a brainwashed by the mainstream media they just can't even hear it if you start talking outside of the mainstream media and that you can get labeled a conspiracy theorist and then they won't even think they won't even go in that direction. And it doesn't matter the quality of the work that you do. And one of the things maybe you can speak to this. I noticed as I was doing some research for this interview, your recent interview with uh, G. Edward Griffin, where you were discussing the, the JFK, the, the quote unquote conspiracy uh, about how he um, was was going against the Federal Reserve Um printing the $2 bills and things like that, and you actually debunked that, saying, hey, you know, if we're going to be doing this kind of work, this kind of alternative work outside of the mainstream, we better make sure that we're doing really good work, and we're always sourcing our material, and we're always questioning even our own work, um, because they're going to be coming at us from every angle to try to debunk you, you know what we're talking about. Um, so will you just talk to that? I mean, what you know, what is good journalism, frankly? And why is it that the mainstream media so often seems to be, uh, you know, people seem to just give them a pass like they're doing great work. And then if you're labeled conspiracy theorists, it's presumed that you're doing some kind of, you know, shoddy journalism or, or shoddy research. Right. And as with everything else, I
1: mean, there's we're tempted to be thrown into the mirror image of that, where anything online independent alternative must be good and the the mainstream must be crap. Right. It's not so easy. It's not that easy. Of course, we have to apply the same standards to all of the media that we take in and uh, everyone should live up to or fall down on those standards that's where where we have to come down so what are the standards that we should be going for something that has been a founding ethos of the Corbett report from its very inception was the idea of open source information. Mm -hmm. And this is actually, I mean, it's not like an idea that I invented or anything. This is an old idea, and it comes from entities like the CIA itself, which has an open source uh, intelligence gathering um, mission, where they openly admit that upwards of 90, 95 percent of the actionable intelligence that they get, they get from open sources. They get from television, radio, newspapers, magazine articles, uh, white papers, published reports, things that are already out out there, open, floating around in the world. You don't need James Bond with spy, spy gadgets to find a lot of this information. It's already out there. And based on that, well, my idea is, well, if the CIA and whoever can be employing that for their own purposes, well, the, all of us can play a part in that. And it's one of those uh, phenomena where if it's one or two people doing it, it's not going to be so effective. But we now have the leverage of having Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people that can get involved in these types of uh, investigations, open source investigations, where you can have people from all around the world speaking different languages with different areas of expertise and interest and backgrounds that can all bring their backgrounds and, and expertise to any given subject. That is a remarkable thing. And so that's something that I've I've tried specifically to, to leverage to the extent possible right from the beginning of the website. One of the first things that I knew that I wanted to do and one of the reasons I started my podcast was because back in 2007, I was listening to all of these different podcasts, these conspiracy theory realm co- podcasts, whatever you want to call them, mm-hmm. and thinking... You know, it sounds like a radio show to me. I mean, no disparagement to radio shows, but yeah, I understand in a live radio environment, you're just speaking off the cuff. You might not be able to specifically reference and link people to source documents and things, but this is the online space. If you've got a website and you've got a podcast... Link people to the actual things that you're talking about. It's not that difficult. So that was one of the first things that I thought whenever I speak about a document or a video or an interview or whatever it is, I can link people directly to that. And uh, it may not. I mean, it isn't really. It shouldn't be revolutionary. And yet it is. I Mm -hmm. continue to this day to see the stupid. Idiotic dinosaur establishment media that still is operating in the 1950s paradigm, where if they talk about a report, well, they're talking about it. They don't have to link you to it. Why would they link you to the actual report? (laughs) You don't have to read that for yourself. You're just a little peon who reads what they write about the report, which to me is just insulting to my intelligence. So for me, here's what it boils down to the standards that we should be holding sources to is do they show their work? Do they show where they're getting their information and what information they're basing their decisions on? Because Mm -hmm. I don't believe in the objective journalists floating on clouds that look at something from a completely detached view. No, absolutely, there are biases. Every single person has them, and you cannot escape them. Even choosing what to cover and what not to cover is an editorial decision that comes from a worldview that is informed inherently by your biases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if people know about those biases, if you're open with, hey, I, I support this, I am for this. But here is my sources. Here's where I compiled this information from. Here it is. You can look for it through it yourself and come to your own conclusions. I think that's, that's really the model that I'm trying to base this on. And I think that's the way forward now that we have the technology to leverage the combined intellect of thousands, tens of thousands, millions of people around the globe.
0: Yeah, it's phenomenal. I did an interview with Robert David Steele. He was calling the internet the new Gutenberg press, basically. That it's like the next level of of human interaction, and um, that that brings to mind like what's been going on on Reddit recently. And so, why don't we talk about? Um, Uh, Another conspiracy theory or now the the new meme fake news, which was this Pizzagate thing, which was basically going on on Reddit (laughs) because individuals were just like, wait a minute. These emails sound pretty strange from John Podesta. And so we're going to look into this. And then you get these these long, detailed uh, Reddit streams that are just citizen journalists looking into it because of their own interests. And um discovering lots of of things that i mean it's not i mean how you know like how do you call that fake news like there's something there it's not fake. i mean you can disagree with it or you can agree with it one way or the other but what is this term fake news i mean how do you even comprehend something like that what what was that was that do you think that was another meme put out by intelligence agencies it sure smells like it you know oh
1: absolutely i think there's no doubt that certainly the establishment media was trying to create this meme in the wake of the uh, the election the selection from last November. Right. <laughs> Clearly, they were trying to seed this out there as a way of saying, okay, now we can get at those pesky you know, online independent media sources that we don't like, and now we can smear them with this fake news brush and no mm-hmm. one will look at them anymore. Because honestly, I think a lot of the establishment media truly are dinosaurs. They truly do not comprehend the era that we're living in. So they thought they could just use this fake news meme and people would stop listening to anything online. I like how that instantly rebounded on them. And now they, CNN and others are being called fake news more than the alternative media is. um, And rightfully so, I would say. Now, it is interesting. You bring up something like Pizzagate, which in some ways is kind of, it is simultaneously the best and the worst of this type of open source investigation. Because now, yes, we have Hundreds of thousands, millions of pairs of eyes that we can bring to bear on any particular issue and people coming at it from their own perspectives with their own experience and knowledge. Mm-hmm. But it also means that you're going to have a lot of people who are not that experienced, not that intelligent, not able to connect dots very well, doing this for the first time, not really understanding the context of what they're looking at, non, non-experts, I suppose. Right. Um, and with that is going to come a lot of people who are going down blind alleys or following uh, poor leads or getting things wrong. And I think we see both of that with something like Pizzagate. For example, one of the things that set this off was a 4chan post by an anonymous poster who had right. this map of, you know, this word equals this and this word equals that hot dog equals boy and walnut equals girl or whatever it was that that code that I think we've all seen. Mm -hmm. That was totally 100 percent just plucked out of thin air. It was totally made up. There's nothing to support. Uh, uh, Cheese pizza uh, has been used in the past online and demonstrably so for many years. C.P. Child Pornography. Cheese pizza. Mm, right. So that that is one part of that. That is true and verifiable. But the, all of that hot dog and walnut and dominoes and all of that stuff was totally made up by someone on a 4chan post. And that got taken as the gospel truth upon which people created the most of the narrative. Now, again, that's not to say that there, there hasn't been so much uncovered about these people, the Podestas and David Brocks and all of these people floating in that milieu. There has been a lot dredged up about it. But there's also been a lot of blind alleys and silly leads that go nowhere that have been followed in that investigation. Sure. Now, the real question ultimately becomes then, OK, given that this is the new reality and that we can bring all these people to bear, how do we make it an effective tool for investigation rather than just some of mob justice let's all go attack people uh, and ask questions later which unfortunately it can happen and there was that story from i think a decade ago or a decade and a half i think it was a small town in britain people got confused they saw uh what was it a pediatrician with pediatrician written out front of the 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 clinic and pediatrician oh you're one of those people who like kids well we got to go after you and they literally (laughs) tried to run her out of town um You know, that kind of stuff can happen. And so it's the question of how do we effectively organize this as a tool? And I'm not sure there is an easy answer to that. Because ultimately, you have to have the free expression, you have to have people coming together and being able to freely contribute to these online discussions. But ultimately, some of it is going to go in silly directions and directions that are going to go nowhere. So we have to find a way to filter out quality from from garbage.
0: It's interesting that you bring that up, because I think that that is actually the function of of a free press. If you think about that ideal of what the free press is, or during the French Revolution, what they called the fourth estate. I mean, you know, the, the function of the press are there supposed to be people. And I think, you know, the words that come to mind as we're discussing this are the, the discipline and the integrity that it takes to be a real journalist or a real historian. I mean, you can't, you know, it's interesting, people like you, and I totally agree with you, who don't believe that there's such a thing as objective journalists or objective journalism, at least seem to try <laughs> and are capable of separating their own belief system and attempting to attempting to transcend it, recognizing that it's there and that it's okay. You know that after all the work that you've done, you have a point of view, but still being open-minded and still being able to change your mind when the facts uh, present themselves, which is uh, the greatest irony of all. A lot of times I hear this term uh, cognitive dissonance or um, um, the other one is uh, co- what conclusion bias or whatever the, the term is that you're always going to find what, you know, what your conclusion is. People say that about conspiracy theorists over and over again, but I actually see it when it comes to the people that are listening to the mainstream media.
1: Well, you raise an important point there because I think that is... What At least what people believe that a free press should be doing, um, even if it's not doing it, which is being that editorial control on the conversation in the sense right. that theoretically, yeah, you're going to get the the top knowledgeable people on a given area to comment and, and getting different opinions and perspectives and putting it out there and saying, OK, guys, this is the information so that it's not just this. Confused chorus of you know millions of voices all chattering in people's ears. You you need to well who who actually knows about this subject? So that's yeah, it that is theoretically the function of, of Properly functioning press and mm-hmm. there's always going to be Some sort of limiting of that conversation some sort of marginalizing of this voice or that voice or this crazy conspiracy theorist or what? What have you in a conversation like that a, a, of necessity? Um, but I think we've reached the point where the divergence between the conversation that these elite experts are having and what we as regular human beings are experiencing is getting so great. That divergence is happening so great that people are naturally turning to online spaces to become part of the conversation again, feel themselves part of this actual conversation that is affecting their lives, rather than simply being told what to believe and being chastised and for not believing the right things people are trying to insert themselves in that i think it's just it's a natural part of the the conversation the way it's evolved and now we have the technology to do this and so now it's a question of rediscovering well okay so how do we get some sort of editorial uh filter on this content again so that not a filter right. but at any rate something that a, a filter that people can put on or take off as they want which sure. is what my ultimate idea of this is. Everyone has to become their own editor to a certain extent. You're going to have to choose which sources to take on board and which sources to, to discard. And that I think that every single individual has to come to that decision in the same way that they did in the old paradigm by deciding to read the New York Times and not read the, uh, the New York Post or whatever, you know, right. <laughs> that kind of decision. But now we have a much broader decision. We have millions and billions of different news sources that we can turn to or discard.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting, like instead of having the talking head that used to and and the four networks that we used to be able to choose from now, there's this whole plethora of choice. It requires, um, you know, the the viewer to be a little more discerning. uh, And hopefully the independent media is is doing a pretty good job of being that filter and preventing just that mob mentality that can take over. Um, But it's it's great to see. Actually, I think it's. That the, the people in general, the, the, you know, in a functioning democracy are, are being because they're having to be more interactive. Hopefully they're becoming better at, at being critical thinkers. Um, and hopefully that we're getting away from this authority paradigm where the talking heads just tell you what to think. I think that's why the propaganda has been so effective for the last 50 or 100 years. Um, where, you know, people have just been told the guy on the TV tells you what to think. Everybody thinks that. Let's go hate this person. Let's go to war with that person. Let's drop the love bombs, as you like to call it, on this person over here. And everybody just kind of goes with it. Um, So hopefully, you know, we're seeing a bit of an awakening uh through the internet um where there is uh, enough new information of people doing quality enough work that we can start to convince people to hey you know get get off the state propaganda the corporate propaganda and uh, start thinking for yourselves a little bit here. So let's get into then, because what you've been doing from you know early on in this movement as an independent journalist is really getting away from, from the corporate media. And I've been thinking a lot about this, so I'd like in the last, we've got about eight minutes left here for you to touch on this, because what I started to notice as I started to do more and more research into this is that the mainstream media, well, a lot of times the mainstream media will even give you the facts but then they don't do the investigative reporting to come to the conclusion so important facts just you know they're on the back page and then they slip through the cracks and then you know independent journalists like yourself will read the back page Start put two and two together and then write, you know, the answer is four here and start putting things together. So your sources like you can read a 9-11 truth, uh, a book about 9-11 truth. The sources are The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal. The facts are all there in the mainstream media. The mainstream media is just not, you know, following the breadcrumbs down the trail. Um, so it takes independently financed. Uh, journalist to do that extra effort. So let's just talk about, you know, what is going on there? I mean, we have a corporate system that really has taken over uh, this mainstream narrative and they, uh, they control and in the past have controlled so much of the market that they've been able to control the way all of us think. Now, at least we have this medium where independent journalists uh, can have their say. And they seem to be saying a lot the same thing. I mean, it's not that you know, we don't have disagreements, but, you know, it's a different perspective that you get from people who are independent versus people who are corporately financed.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to springboard off of that Gutenberg analogy, I mean, you could think back to the Gutenberg revolution and the printing press and the way that changed society. I truly believe that changed the course of human history in some, some pretty uh, straightforward ways. Um, suddenly people had access to the Bible, And not just in Latin, which they couldn't understand, but in their own uh, vulgar language. They could actually read the Bible that they had been worshipping, you know, for generations and generations. Most people not even understanding a word of what was being said because it was in a foreign dead language that they didn't even speak. Suddenly they had access to the text. So you get things like the Reformation. I think there's a pretty straight line between the Gutenberg press and things like that. So it clearly transformed society. But... And it was a good, I think on the whole, it's for the good that people are now 99% literate. I mean, it is a good thing that people have access to all of this knowledge and understanding and history and learning now. Um, But it doesn't mean that propaganda and the ability to shape people's minds goes away. It just has to take a different form rather than priests telling people what to believe um, based on texts that they've never read themselves. Now, Now we have uh, different ways of doing that. And you could there's an interesting story to be told about the way that the media uh, landscape in the era of mass media consolidated over the past century and uh, specifically starting around the early 20th century with uh, J.P. Morgan and associated interests Mm -hmm. and how he consolidated a a wide degree of media at that time. And then how that's obviously arrived at the point where now we have five or six corporations in America that control 90 plus percent of the radio, TV, newspaper, you know, uh, paradigm. Um, So there it is. I mean, that is an important part of all of this. And then the flip side of that is, well, that doesn't that doesn't mean that there's no way to control the the online space. Um, it's just that that's still in flux and it's still a question of what we end up doing with this and how we how we ultimately solve some of the problems that we're facing right now that as we talk about with the, the problem of the proliferation of too many voices and too many sources. And how do you well, how do you filter through that and you know what methods should be used for that and all of that is it's kind of a societal conversation that we're taking on right now. Again, I don't think there's any easy answers to this, but I know that the wrong answer is to ultimately put this in the hands of government censors that ultimately saying the government will decide, you know, fake news versus real news. And now you have to have this special license to become a journalist and, you know, have a blog or whatever, or or even if that's not a specifically government led thing, if it's something that, you know, Facebook and Twitter and all of these social media platforms start to institute in various ways, they can do it by You know, people just going along to get along. Everyone's on Facebook. I'll be on Facebook. What's the latest Facebook rule? Oh, you have to post this. You can't post this. You can flag that, whatever. You know, YouTube uh, suddenly, you know, demonetizing content here. Suddenly it'll start Mm -hmm. to block content there. You know, these conversations are going to be more and more controlled on those platforms. But... This is an incredible medium. We can create new platforms and they are being created. Bitshoot.com and other things like this are propping up every day. Steemit, all of these different social media platforms. It really is a question of whether people understand the problem and care enough to actually do something about it, to actually take it upon themselves, to to venture off of these controlled platforms and onto other platforms. And I think that's where the rubber is going to meet the road as to whether this will become a Gutenberg revolution that changes paradigms and completely topples walls or whether it'll get controlled and bound back into the old media paradigm.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is almost getting frightening. I have been uh, thinking lately where we're starting to live in a world where there is Facebook, Google, and Amazon. And, uh, you know, God, at least there used to be 25 corporations that ruled the world. Now there's going to be three (laughs) and Google's working on, um, you know, changing its algorithms, so some of this information is just going to be harder and harder to find unless we start to figure out ways around it using this internet. So, uh, you know, Google also has
1: attack robots and other uh, funny <laughs> side projects <laughs> now under their Alphabet umbrella. Artificial
0: so intelligence, so yeah,
1: <laughs> gets creepier and creepier.
0: For sure. Well, it looks like we've only got a few minutes left, James. So if you, uh, you know, want to want to just give some final comments or just let people know where they can find out more about the Corbett report, then uh, let us have it now, and then we'll say goodbye.
1: Well, thank you for allowing me to have this conversation. This is the kind of conversation that obviously drove me to start the website in the first place. I've thought a lot about this, so I have a lot to say about it. Um, But I also understand that for the listener, sometimes they don't just want to hear the media talking about the media. So if you are interested in some of the subjects that we alluded to today, JFK or 9-11 or these types of subjects... Please do go to CorbettReport.com. I have thousands and thousands of hours of audio and video material completely free for download. Please do use it as a resource. That's what it is. It's a resource to be used for further study. Everything that I do is really just one node in a whole network of, of explosion of information. And you can follow all the different sources to all these different points of information and hopefully construct a more co- coherent worldview, because it comes back to something that you said earlier. The It's not that the mainstream media lies directly, at least not all the time. In fact, a lot of what they report is factually correct. It's just right. if you don't connect those dots, if you just report a point here and a point there and a point there and never connect the dots, then you'll never see the bigger picture that's being formed. So that's really what the uh, the impetus for this work is.
0: Well, that sounds like a great place to end it for tonight. Thank you so much, James, James Corbett, for being on The Shift. Uh, once again, if you uh, like what you're hearing on The Shift, please help us out at patreon.com backslash the shift. And if you want to get more information or join the conversation, uh, join me at The Shift with Doug McKenty on Facebook, at Doug McKenty, at D. McKenty on Twitter, or theshiftnow.com. And you can get more information about The Corbett Report at corbettreport.com as well. Thanks again, James. Really appreciated your time. And uh, hopefully maybe I can get back in touch with you in a couple of months and we can do it again. Really enjoyed the conversation myself.
1: Looking forward to it.
0: Great. Thanks again.